Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. This morning, Lord willing, I want to begin a series of messages on the parables of Christ. I, uh, I've never done this before, but I've always wanted to. It's, it's uh, somehow or another, it's always, always simmering, one of those things that's simmering on the back burner. Uh, although, of course, I've spoken on the parables in different times and probably have spoken on all of them at some time or another. I've never actually gone through them systematically and tried to discover the sweet spiritual truths that are found therein. <clears throat> and um, a couple of things providentially came into my hand in the last uh, month or so. Uh, one was a book I forgot I had. Brother, Brother Flanagan had given me a book by uh, Trench, Archbishop Trench, uh, a great biblical expositor in the 19th century, on on the parables and and uh, as I was rearranging my study, I had to handle all the books that that I've got and uh, I kept picking up these books and saying, "Man, I forgot I had this. I've got to I got to read this." And I'd set it aside and for long I had a big stack of them over there and and uh, uh, so much to read and uh, so much good good things to read. And anyway, I've got got to reading in his his book on on parables. And rejoiced in that afresh, and uh, then I ran across a commentary on the parables by uh, Benjamin Keach, who was uh, who was a signer of the uh, 1689 London Confession of Faith, and he also had the rare distinction of being the signer of the 1644 London Confession of Faith. He signed both of those confessions. One as a young man, one as an old man. A uh, great Baptist writer of the six, of the 17th century. In England, Benjamin Keach. So, uh, <clears throat> I'd like for us to uh, to consider that. And the first one that we'll consider uh, next week, Lord willing, is in Matthew 13. As a matter of fact, if you want to um, try to prepare your thoughts and hearts concerning the parables, uh, there there are a number of parables found in the 13th chapter of Matthew, and we're going to undertake them first. The Lord willing, uh, they're called the gospel. They're called the parables of the kingdom, as Matthew, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is called the gospel of the kingdom, because he speaks so much of the kingdom of God, both in its present, uh, both in its present aspect and in its future aspect. And um, I'll probably refresh you a little bit on some things about the kingdom of God along the way. Uh, I, I, I preached a series of messages on the kingdom of God. <clears throat> you know, time flies when you're having fun. It seemed like it was two or three months ago, but actually it was probably three or four years ago that I preached the series on, on the kingdom of God and what it was and what the scriptures say about the kingdom of God, and uh, <clears throat> which is an important topic for us to consider because uh, we are members of the kingdom of God. We're subjects of the great king. But before we actually get into the parables themselves, 
I want us to consider something about parables this morning that also will be found in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. In 13.3 he says, And Jesus spoke many things unto them in parables. A parable is an illustrative story. It is a story that is designed to illustrate some biblical truth. But we are at once confronted with a paradox about parables in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. While the, the, a parable is designed to illustrate some spiritual truth, and as we all know, illustrations are designed to make some spiritual truth more comprehensible, more personal, something you can relate to, you, you give an illustration. And we try to do that a lot in preaching. We try to give illustrations. If you were to go into a Christian bookstore, you'd find whole books on illustrations. People have written for, for preachers and uh, also appropriate jokes and and stories. You know, these days, the good preacher's got to always tell a joke in his sermon. He's got to be sure and give some good illustrations and tell at least one story. And preferably a tearjerker. You know, really involve the emotions. Well, there's nothing wrong with telling a story, a tearjerking story, but... I don't know. I never was much one for a formula for preaching, personally. That may be why I don't ever go anywhere much, and you have to put up my same old stories and illustrations. And um, I'm say I say we are confronted with a paradox because a parable, a, an, an illustrated story, is designed to make something more understandable. But they came to Jesus in in Matthew chapter 13 <clears throat> with a question about parables. In verse 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, think about the question. Why do you speak to them in parables? As a matter of fact, uh, Mark chapter 4, where this same discussion is basically under consideration, it says, But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. He was constantly using parables many of which are recorded for us, some of which may not be. Uh, no doubt the ones he used repeatedly. And Jesus is like every other preacher, I'm quite sure. He preached the same sermon in every place he went. He'd, preach, he'd, have, he'd have sermons that he preached, things that were important to him at the time and, and in place. So the question almost seems to be an obvious one, doesn't it? Why do you speak to them in parables? Why, why do you... Why do you speak to them in illustrative stories that are designed to clarify a principle? Now, there's got to be something, of course, then a little deeper in the question. As a matter of fact, if you'll go over and look in Mark's account of this, this, uh, this question and Luke's, we've got a more fundamental problem that doesn't quite appear in the book of Matthew, and that is... The disciples didn't understand the parables. So I say we have something of a paradox here. Here's something that's designed to illustrate a point, but they're not getting the point. The illustration's not connecting. They don't understand what he's talking about. And so they would constantly come to Jesus and say, Declare to us, what, what are you talking about? 
What, what does this mean? And at, on one occasion, at least, Jesus somewhat upbraided them and said, What? Do you not understand this either? But he would always declare to his disciples the parable. Now, this paradox is somewhat cleared up in these succeeding verses. And it's something that we need to give consideration to, not only to the answer itself, but to the broad implications of this answer. Why do you speak to them in parables? And Mark and, and, and Luke, he says, what, what do these parables mean? Declare to us this, this parable. What are, what are you talking about? This first parable, the sower went forth to sow, and, and he sowed the seed, and some fell on good ground, bore fruit. Some fell on stony ground, it didn't do anything. Some fell on shallow ground, it, it sprang up, but no fruit. Some fell on the way, on the, the side and among the thorns, and it sprang up, but the thorns choked them out. That's it. That's the story. Well, we need to, uh, we need to kind of have Paul Harvey in on this deal, because we somehow need the rest of the story. I can see where they'd be scratching their heads. What, what do you mean by that? What, what does that mean? Why are you, what are you saying? And, and if you look at what precedes this, you, you don't get a whole lot of, uh, you don't get a lot of insight into what led into this, this, this thing of parables, and there may not be anything leading into it. So why parables? Why did Jesus speak in parables? Well, let's read his answer. Verse 11, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it is not given. For whosoever has, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even that he has. Therefore I speak unto them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. And now Jesus goes and explains to the disciples privately the meaning of the parable. Now Jesus also spoke other parables. On this same occasion, they don't understand them any better than they did this one. Now we notice in verse 9, Jesus ended the parable itself with, Who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Obviously, Jesus is not talking about physical hearing. He's talking about spiritual hearing. And so was illustrated the, the main truth of the first parable. And that is, when the Word of God is preached, and it falls on hearts that have been prepared by God, it will bring forth fruit. It will always bring forth fruit. If the gospel is preached to someone who has ears, 
they will hear. We're not talking about these two things on the side of your head. Because there are people who hear, but they do not hear. They hear with their ears, but they do not understand with their hearts. They see with their physical eyes, but they cannot see beyond what exists in a physical way. And so Jesus has told them that the reason he speaks in parables is, I want some people to understand what I'm saying, and there are others whom I do not want to understand what I'm saying. Now, I've got another book on the parables. I don't know who the guy what guy is. Just I I don't recognize his name at all. It was also in Brother Flanagan's library. Um, I don't know exactly how Brother Flanagan came by all the books that he had, but uh, I know for a fact that he didn't always just read things that agreed with his theology. So this guy uh, Trench, of course, when he when he talks about parables, this is the first thing he talks about is the sovereignty of God in this issue. This other guy never mentions it. It has gone completely over his head. All he talks about is how the parables are designed to illustrate a point, to make something simple. He doesn't mention the other. Now, think about that for just a minute. God has intentionally couched his truth in a form which is calculated to conceal that truth from some people and which is calculated to reveal truth to other people. There's a more fundamental issue here than um, just parables. And if you and I are able to come to grips with this most fundamental issue, then we'll not have any problems with the answer that Jesus gave about parables. And that simple issue is this, that God is God, and as God, He has absolute right to do whatever He pleases with whomever He pleases. Now, there was a time in, in the history of Christianity in which that caused no one any heartburn. No one had problems with that. The, the common man in the pew, so to speak, understood that God was sovereign. That God had a right to give life and take life away. I had a lady call me about the school just this week. Got a little girl she wanted to put in the school. Well, one of the first questions I always ask when someone calls, one of the first questions I ask is, well, where do you go to church? Well, she said, um, I don't go to church. We don't go to church. I said, well, um, that is that's that is a requirement for admission into our school. We do not just take students into our school. We take families into our school. And, and it's important for us that the things that we teach in the school are being reinforced in the home and, and in church. And so we, we require that, that our families be uh, active in church. They don't have to come to our church, but they have to be active in church. And uh, she says, well, um, I've got a problem. She said, my, my grandmother died some years back. And um, 
I guess, I guess, uh, I just, I just grew angry with God because I thought my grandmother ought to stay with us longer. Well, bless her poor old heart. Um, you know, when people don't understand God's sovereignty, they get angry with God when God does what God has a right to do. And, and, if people just understand that God has the absolute right to do whatever He wishes with whomever He wishes, whenever He wishes, then when God does that, we're not thrown for a loop. Because we believe that all things work together for good, them who love God, them who are the called according to His purpose. We understand the truths of Scripture which proclaim the sovereignty of God. I want to read something to you that Spurgeon wrote on this uh, I really rejoiced in this. This is in his commentary on Matthew. He says, To hear the outward word is a common privilege. To know the mysteries is a gift of sovereign grace. Our Lord speaks the truth with much boldness. It is given unto you, but to them it is not given. Solemn words. Humbling truths. Salvation. And the knowledge by which it comes are given as the Lord wills. There is such a thing as distinguishing grace after all. Let the moderns revile the doctrine as they may. <laughs> Didn't he have a way with words? I always love to quote Spurgeon. Let the moderns revile it as they may. Well, of course, that's still going on. Spurgeon uttered those words toward the end of the 19th century. The 20th century saw a, a, an explosion of, of uh, Armenian doctrine which sets forth man as the center of God's, God's program. That is, that, that, that man is the master of his destiny. Man is the one who is the decisive uh, element in uh, eternal things, not God. And so when we set forth the, idea, the whole idea of the sovereignty of God in election and predestination... Men recoil at that because they cannot comprehend a God who has the absolute power to do whatever He wishes, with whomever He wishes, whenever He wishes. And so, when our loved ones are taken away from us in death, we are sad, but we are not, we are not uh, destroyed because God has a right to do that. Job understood that. When when his loved ones were taken away from him, he says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is it is it is it some kind of complex thing to understand that God gives life as it pleases him and God takes life as it pleases him? Is it a strange thing that God gives eternal life to whomever he will and he withholds it from whomever he will? Is it a strange thing that God reveals his truth to some and he does not to others? Hear the words of Jesus in, in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 11. This is after he has really given uh, the cities around about, the, the, read them the riot act, we might say, because of their blindness. But yes, he, yet he says this in verse 25, Matthew 11. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed, seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father 
uh, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. We, we find in this the, the divine prerogative of God to reveal himself to whomever he will and to withhold himself from whomever he will. Now, as we read through the parables, this is going to be absolutely essential for us to understand. That's why the discussion in the providence of God has come up very early in the whole business of talking about the parables. You know, we love our children. And we believe God has given them to us. But is God bound by some, by some law to give our children eternal life? We see general principles of God's word and yet we understand that God is sovereign in the business of giving eternal life to whomever he will and withholding it from whomever he will. We love our children. And I think about this every year when school starts. It always kind of comes fresh, fresh to my mind. That God has charged us with the responsibility of bringing up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That means to train and educate them in the ways of the Lord. That is, that is our charge. We're commanded by God to do so. We have no choice in the matter. If we're going to serve God, that's what we'll do. Um, but it is, it is entirely the prerogative of God to make those truths real to people's hearts. And sometimes He's pleased to make those truths real to their hearts when they're very young. And I hear some people say, I, I never remember a time in my life when the things of Christ were not precious to me. And then others who, who are converted in later years of life, uh, some even in their old age, you see, God has the right to do whatever He will, whenever He will, to whomever He will. And you know, when you and I bow to that, you know what that does for us? I'll tell you what it does for us. It gives us peace. It gives us a peace that passes all understanding. You know, when, as we're around, I know Brother Jamie and Sister Natalie also hear these same kinds of things when you talk about, when you talk about, uh, children being born with disabilities. And uh, Brother Bradley tells a story. I've heard it two or three times. Um, about some woman in his church. Some chaplain from some hospice came after her husband died. And she got all disturbed because he told her, Now, I know you're going to go through a time when you're going to be angry with God. And she called Brother Bradley and said, Is that true? I don't, that scares me. I don't want to be angry with God. And Brother Bradley says, he tells, he told the woman, he said, it's alright for you to be a Christian. <laughs> you can, you can trust God and not be angry with God for taking your husband away. You don't have to go through this. But see, the world's got their 12 steps to this and their 10 steps and 5 steps and all this kind of, kind of stuff. You know, he says it's alright to trust God. Because God is the sovereign God who gives life, who takes it away sovereignly as He pleases. He gives good minds to some, from others, he withholds what we call a good and a, and a normal mind, all according to his divine purpose. So, contrary to being angry with God, or angry at God, for giving us children with disabilities, we rather rejoice, like the Apostle Paul did when he said, we said, I will now, when he prayed that this thorn might be taken away from him, the thorn in his flesh, he says, I will now rather glory in mine infirmities. For when I'm weak... That's when I'm strong. 
It's during those times when you're struggling with those children, or maybe struggling with a dying parent, or maybe struggling with a disobedient, rebellious child. That, that causes you to draw near to God and draw special strength from God and cry out to God. And oh, what a gracious God we have who draws near to His children with all succor and aid and gives to them all such things as they need so that they are able to live in peace in less than perfect circumstances. Indeed, which of you live in perfect circumstances? Which of you has no problems? Which of you have no struggles? Indeed, all of us have things that we deal with, struggle with. It may not be a retarded child. It may not be a dying parent. It may not be a rebellious child. It may be some other thing that, that we struggle with. Maybe some inward struggle of the soul, some inward struggle of the mind. Yet, when we draw near to God, we're not angry with God because this thing is upon us. We cry out to God. We plead with God for help and strength. And how often God comes to us. And so David cried out, The Lord is my refuge and strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. And so we, we understand that these troubles come upon us and, and we have these difficulties, but God is a sovereign God who does, who does as Nebuchadnezzar found out the hard way in Daniel 4. He doeth his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What are you doing? Now when Nebuchadnezzar finally came to that conclusion, then Nebuchadnezzar settled this question once and for all, who was, who was the great king over all the earth? It was not he. It was God. The Lord God, the God of Israel, who is the king over heaven and earth. And he does what he wants to in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay, stop him or say unto him, what are you doing? I thought about that pretty often. No one can say unto him, what are you doing? When all around us people say every day, what are you doing? So what does he mean by that? He means he does not say that successfully. And he does not do that without, how shall we say? No one ever shakes his fist in God's face without drawing back a nub. God's God. And he has sovereign right to do whatever he will. So he's, he's, he's come before these people. And he's preaching to them in parables. He's telling them illustrative stories that they don't understand. They don't have the foggiest idea what he's talking about. Even his disciples are, are unsure of what he's saying. And they're constantly coming to him saying, tell us this parable. Or Jesus is, as after the crowd has gone away, uh, elucidating the matter to them privately. Because he says, to, to you it is given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. To them it is not. Now, is it any wonder to us today that there are a lot of people who don't understand the mysteries of the kingdom? who do not understand the rules of the kingdom of God and the laws of the kingdom of God. We ought not to be surprised at that. Because who, who understands them? Let me tell you something. We, if we understand them, and the degree to which we may understand them, is not because we're smarter than folks out yonder. Oh, far from it. There are a lot of people out there smarter than we are. But it's because God has been pleased by His sovereign mercy to reveal this truth to you. 
And whatever truth it is that you actually believe and understand in your heart has been given to you by God, by a sovereign act of God. When Jesus asked the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some said this, some said that. Jesus finally asked, said, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter came up with his great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And remember Jesus answered him, He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon the foundation of the, that rock that, of your confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so it is that we deal with our children. Yea, we deal with the people around us and we try to, to talk to them about spiritual truths. I told the lady on the phone just yesterday she, when she called, I said, come to church with us tomorrow. We'd love to have you. We meet at 1030. She knew exactly where the, the church was located. Um, she's not here. I'm not judging her soul. I don't know how all that's going to turn out. Maybe, maybe it will turn out well. But it will only turn out well if God ever reveals to her that God had just as much right to take her grandmother away as he did to give it, her to her in the first place. It is just as much in the d- divine prerogative of God to send trials and troubles upon his children for their good and, their, and his glory as He does to send upon them the blessings that we experience every day. And so we're able to bless God, not only for our normal children, but we're able to bless God for our special children. And, you know, we come up with all these euphemisms to make things sound a little more pleasant than it is. Now, they're special, all right. They, they especially get into everything, and they especially, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of uh, extra work and, and all of those things. But in that sense that they are special to us because God gave them to us. You know, I'm not into this stuff. You know, people try to understand about having retarded children. Children with disabilities. And they come up with this stuff like, well, God just had this special child up there. And he knew he, that needed a spe- he needed a special place. So he chose you to have that. Now, I don't get much comfort from that myself because Oxford over here is full of children that nobody wanted. Uh, you know, that, that, that's kind of hollow to me. It's, it's human sentimentality. But you know what does have meaning to me? The sovereign creator of the heaven and the earth has chosen to give us this child for our good and his glory. And you know, when I, when I realize that, I'm at peace. I have peace in my soul. I'm, I'm at rest with God and men. If God is pleased, you know, I, t- I told you about this email correspondence I had some year or so ago. This, this woman, she was afraid to embrace the, the truth of sovereign grace because she has a father who's an unbeliever and she's afraid that, that he might not be one of the elect. Well, that is a fearsome thought by, by the natural, by the natural thinking to think that some loved one of yours would spend an eternity Away from God. But let me say that if we understand that God has the right to do as He will and to dispose of His creatures as it pleases Him, then we'll bless God even if we don't understand all the whys and wherefores about our relatives and whether or not they understand the things of Christ. Because God, does not God reveal that to whom He will? 
Does he not hide that from whom he will? He said that very plainly right here in this scripture. So he says to, to Simon, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. I, t- I say to Anne Marie, she wants to pray. I always end the prayers with a bless Anne Marie to love Jesus. Well, whatever the last thing you said, that's the thing she's going to say when you get through talking. She, she says, I love Jesus. I said, well, I praise, I praise the Lord for that. You know, if I'd have said, help Anne Marie to love tomato sandwiches, she'd say, I love tomato sandwiches. <laughs> you know, she, she's gonna, you know, but I, I want to, it's my job to teach this to her. But see, in her case, it's a special case because I seek more clearly than in any other that only the God of heaven can make that real to her soul. But it's just like you and me. Only the God of heaven could make it real to my soul. And if it is real to my soul, it is because God had sovereign mercy upon me. And what that causes me to do is to not boast, as we are told in the Scriptures, that salvation is by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. If I could point to anything that I ever did and say, look what I did. I gave my children a Christian education. I I read the Bible with them every night at home, and I did this and I did that. I might have something to, to boast in if my children grow up and serve the Lord. And if they don't grow up and serve the Lord, I've got something to complain about. Because I'll say, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and they're not doing that. But you see, if I say, I, I, I did all of those things, but I understood that I could never make it real to their hearts. And if I had, if I had neglected all those things, God still might have made it real to their hearts. It's all according to His sovereign purpose, His sovereign plan. Now, that never makes a child of God lazy. If it makes a child of God lazy, he's, 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 uh, he's in the category of those who don't see. Because grace makes me want to serve my God and love my God and do the things that God has called upon me to do. It makes me want to go to church. It makes me want to support the church. It makes me want to love my brothers and sisters. It makes me want to do good to those around me. It, it makes me want to bring up my children the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because I love Him. Not because I hope for some reward. I do it because I love Him. And whatever God is pleased to give or withhold from me, I will bless the God of heaven like Job did of old again when he said, Shall we not receive good from the Lord, not evil also. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so God reveals it unto us. Now we're going to study these parables. And and we're going to try to understand the sense of them. And I wish I could tell you that that uh, everybody, that, that there's total consensus on the meaning of the parables. Um, but there's not. But I tell you, in people who, who think about the Scriptures and study the Scripture, there, there is much unanimity about the main point of the parables, which I think that's the main point anyway, the main point of the parables. I want to ask you this question in Psalm 115, verse 3. Do you believe this? But our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever He has pleased. You believe that? Now, if you believe that, then you're able to, to understand that 
when the sower goes forth to sow, he's going to preach the gospel indiscriminately to all creatures as under the, as for the command of Christ, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. The seed is broadcast, but not all of us going to bear fruit. There's some who are going to hear the word of God, and it's going to be snatched away from them before it does anything, before it even takes root in the ground. There's some that's going to hear the word of God, but the cares and riches of this world is going to choke it out. There's some who are going to hear the word of God, and they have no depth to them, and by and by they fall by the wayside. But some will hear the word of God, it'll, it, whose hearts have been prepared by God. They will bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. And when we as preachers go and preach the word of God, we're at rest. Because we've done what God's called on us to do. We have preached the word. And then we believe that our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he has pleased. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, we read these words. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. I rejoice in that. Not just in the matters of, of, of salvation, of whether or not I go to heaven, but he works all things after the counsel of his own will. I heard a couple of kids on something. Maybe some book we were reading, I don't remember. Anyway, pondering. What would you do if you were God? Well, I think I might do this if I was God, or that if I was God. Basically, what would you do if you could do anything you wanted to do? Well, you see, there is someone in the universe who has the power and the right to do whatever he wants to do. And I ask you this morning, do you understand that? Can your soul be at peace with that? Can your soul be at rest with that? Even if it's something is not going like you'd like to see it go? I trust that'll be the case. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 11, the, the, uh, the prophet says, Yea, speaking of God, Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God has purposed His will. God has purposed His plan, His, His design. One chapter later in Isaiah chapter 47, He says that, that, uh, or 46, in the same, the one verse before that, He says that about God that He is declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that were not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. I heard a preacher not too long ago misquote that verse. It was, a, it was a significant misquotation. He says, he quoted like, he, he said it like this, that he knows the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things, this was a primitive Baptist preacher who said that he knows. Well, that's, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Someone who knows the end from the beginning? That'd be an amazing thing. But I tell you this, this God doesn't just know it, he has declared it. He has said it. He has purposed it. He will do it. He will bring it to pass. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you I understand all the ins and outs of that. I, I don't exactly understand all the ways in which God is absolutely sovereign and man is absolutely responsible, but I know that they are both true. God is, God is in the heavens. 
He has done whatsoever He hath willed. And yet He says to us that we are to obey His command and hear the Word of God. And, and so when we preach the Word of God, our command to all creatures is to repent, turn away from your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the command of the Gospel. And we call upon men to do that, knowing full well that only those, that gospel that falls on seat, the uh, ground that's been prepared by God will ever hear the word of God and do it. Lastly, think about the most despicable scene in the history of the world. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there a more, is there a more heinous crime that's ever been committed on the planet? than to take the holy and harmless Son of God and crucify Him. Why do you think the prophets were able to prophesy with such uh, clear precision all of the events of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Why do you think the prophets were able to predict that, that He would be suspended between heaven and earth? They, could, they predicted that His side would be pierced. They predicted that he would be that he would be killed among thieves. They predicted that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. They predicted that he would be betrayed for thirty pieces of silver, the exact amount of money. They predicted that they would pull out his beard, they would spit in his face, and they would uh, disfigure and and mar him. Why were the prophets able to predict that with such crystal clarity? We read that in Acts chapter four twenty eight. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel before de- determined before to be done. There was not one thing done to the Lord Jesus Christ, but what God had purposed it from all eternity. And yet he says, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. They were absolutely responsible for their sins. Now, I don't understand exactly how all that works. We could talk about God's permissive decrees, His causative decrees, and, and we get into all this theological jargon because, I don't know about you, but I kind of need it to pull all those pieces together. I won't try to do that here this morning. I just know they're both true. That God was not taken by surprise when they hung Jesus on the cross. Jesus was not taken by surprise when He was hung upon the cross. He knew He was going to be crucified. He told them, they're going to crucify me. Why did he know that? Because it had been purposed from all eternity. It had been set by the hand of God. And so it is in the world in which we live. God has purposed that some men hear the truth of God. And he has purposed to withhold it from others. Jesus said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And so it is true that no man knows the Father but the Son. No man can know the Son but the Father. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him.
Now that gives me at once motive to preach because I preach the everlasting counsel. But it also lets me know that not everyone will hear it. Not everyone will receive it. Not everyone will believe it. Not everyone will respond to it because God in His sovereign mercy and sovereign power has either given it or withheld it according to His sovereign pleasure. Why do, why do you speak to them in parables? I speak to them in parables because to them it is not given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to you it is given. So that the prophet of prophet Isaiah, the words of the prophet Isaiah might be brought to pass. They have blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest I should, lest they should be converted and I would heal them. Far from making me doubt God, it makes me just love God all the more to know what a mighty God we serve. But even in that, it makes me do this. God has revealed Himself to me, I believe. I trust God has revealed Himself to you. Why did He do that to you? For it seemed good in His sight. Not you seemed good in His sight. It seemed good in His sight. May God give us the blessing of always rejoicing before the sovereign God. And may He give us insight to understanding the parables. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this truth in Your Word that You are the mighty and the sovereign God. You have the absolute right to do whatever You will with Your creatures. You have the right to give life and to take life. You have the right to give rain and withhold rain. You have the right to give prosperity and withhold prosperity. And Lord, in all that, we know that you work so often through means. And that we are accountable and responsible for our actions and what we do with what we hear. Lord, you know how it always just blesses my soul to think on these things. How it always lifts me toward heaven to think about my God being in the heavens, doing whatsoever is pleased. How it blesses me to know that you have declared the end from the beginning. And your counsels will always stand. And that you work all things after the counsel of your own will. Oh, Father, we are so thankful to know that in this old world which we live, we're not just bouncing around by the chance and whim and fancies of men, but we are here by divine appointment. We serve by divine arrangement. We understand by divine mercy. And we serve you by divine grace. And so bless us to be diligent, faithful in those things because of your wondrous grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.